This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker, where we set up the news stories of the next seven days. I'm Justin Quirk. Joining me this morning to work out the week ahead is political commentator and bunker regular, Ros Taylor. Good morning, Ros. Hello, Justin. Ros, like a dog returning to its vomit, we start today with yet another news cycle dominated by the Conservative Party's self-destructive psychodrama. Uh, The news broke around 9pm last night that despite Boris Johnson honestly having more than 100 backers, they all went to another school, you wouldn't know them, etc. And he duly, selflessly stepped back for the good of the country. Um, Ros, what's your reading of what happened? He had 102 backers, of course he did, just just enough, and yet 101 would have seemed just a little bit too fake. No, it's all bollocks, obviously. He just made up the number. Um, even if he, you know, in the remote chance, he did have people who said they would back him under certain circumstances. What are you for backers who don't have the balls to name you? It is, it is just pathetic. Leadership hopefuls do technically have until 2pm today, Monday, to gather the support of the 100 represent MPs they need. Penny Morden is still claiming to have the numbers and wants to go to the membership to let them vote on it. Why not? Worked brilliantly last time. Uh, But this is increasingly looking like Sunak's, isn't it? Um, Is this the best of a bad set of options for the country, do you think? Yes, it probably is. Um, I thought Morden would do slightly better than she has. But of course, that was before Johnson landed from the Dominican Republic and uh, grabbed all our attention over the weekend. But it does look as though Sunak is going to be the PM. And I would be surprised, quite frankly, if Penny Morden holds on and goes to the members. There's a feeling now that it has to be someone who Tory MPs back and putting it to the membership and creating another five days of uncertainty is not something that they want. There's a feeling now the momentum is with Sunak. There's people are starting to say all kinds of great things about, you know, first Asian PM on Diwali too, and, you know, and, and, and so on. And the feeling is that he really has it in the bag now. I also noticed um, immediately on Johnson uh, pulling last night, the uh, the pound bounced slightly on the markets. So um, the the hard nosed, unpatriotic economists have uh, have spoken. I mean, one other thing I thought was notable over the weekend, as we saw the lines the party was dividing on, was that people you might consider basically sensible, like James Cleverley and Alok Sharma, back Johnson, while some of the real headbanger tendency, like Steve Baker and Kemi Badnock, have gone for Team Sunak. What was going on there? that sort of seems counterintuitive. That was a bit surprising to see Alok Sharma. But on the other hand, you've got to remember that Alok Sharma was in charge of COP26. And that was very much something that Johnson and Carrie Johnson, his wife, were behind. He has been pro-environment, pro-green, very engaged with that agenda. And it has to be said that Sunak has not. There is also the feeling that Basically, Johnson circulated a document yesterday saying, look at all these polls and look at the terrible polls the Tory party is getting at the moment. If you vote for me, I have the best chance of winning the next general election in 2024. And that was the subtext of his astonishingly 
egotistical statement that he released late last night in which he claimed to have the 102 backers when he blamed basically blamed MPs for blocking him and appealed over their heads a little bit to the Tory members and said, you, you know, you never had the chance for, to vote for me, but had you done that, we could have won the next election. You know who to blame when we lose it. What a, what a selfless guy. So assuming Sunak does become leader at some point in the next few days, do we actually know what he stands for in terms of policy? I mean, what will Sunak era look like politically? We know a bit because, of course, he did some talking over the summer during the leadership contest. So he wants to do things like block house building on the green belt. Um, he wants a cap on refugee numbers each year, tighten the definition of what qualifies for asylum. I'm wondering, actually, if the uh, decision of Suella Braverman to back him yesterday had something to do with that and whether she will end up being his Home Secretary again after resigning only last week. Seems a lot longer ago, doesn't it? He also wants to uh, keep a ban on building new offshore wind farms. Not sure why the hell why. And take a tough stance on public sector pay. Um, So he will be trying to keep down the wage demands that are coming his way in great numbers this autumn. And that means that we will have a big face-off with strikers. So we can anticipate that. Oh, good. And while we're making predictions about awful men wrecking countries, uh, next Sunday also sees the second round of the Brazilian general election. Um, Incumbent Bolsonaro has closed the gap a lot on his challenger Lula. Uh, What do you think is likely to happen there, Ros? To be honest, I think this is anybody's guess. As we found out in the first round, the polls are not entirely reliable in Brazil. They don't seem to reach the people who are voting. We don't entirely know the the full reasons for that. But although at the moment it's 49-45 Lula-Bolsonaro, clearly Lula is feeling very worried. He actually pulled out of a debate that the two were supposed to have. And uh, instead, Bolsonaro gave his own speech. That, to me, smacks of worry, shall we say, a lack of confidence, a worry that Bolsonaro could still overtake him. So I think it could go either way. I would not like to make predictions. Meanwhile, away from the UK's ongoing game of non-entity, it's a knockout. Over in Parliament, there is some actual politics going on. Uh, this afternoon sees the levelling up Housing and Communities Committee questioning the new Secretary of State, Simon Clark. There's business energy and industrial strategy questions in the Commons on Tuesday morning, and the Lords considering the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. Um, Ros, all these things featured heavily in the last election manifesto, which feels like about 15 years ago, and the promises of the most recent administrations. Is anything left of that political era now? Do we actually know what this government represents anymore? Or do we just need to think of it as a fresh start? Well, I mean, we know a little bit about it from what Sunak was promising. But bear in mind that this is a government that is not going to be able to push anything remotely ambitious through. I mean, if we think about levelling up, there was never anything much to levelling up. There was no money for it. There was no appetite to do the devolution that would have allowed genuine levelling up. I would say that we are levelling down now, but since it's unlikely that tax rises will, will end up falling mostly on the richest, that's probably the wrong term to use. There really is no overarching agenda apart from survival for the Conservative Party now. I suspect that Sunak will keep Jeremy Hunt as his Chancellor in order not to spook the markets because the overriding aim will be to ensure that we don't have more problems with the pound falling and we don't have more fear from the markets. And we have so much coming down the line. The strikes, 
blackouts, the absolute crisis in A&E. We don't even know who's going to be health secretary potentially by the end of today or tomorrow. We have no clue on what their approach will be. Uh, it's likely, I think, that HS2 will be cancelled. Um, that's, again, what will the transport secretary have to say about that? How will the transport secretary handle the ongoing strikes, which have not, not gone away during this Tory psychodrama? It is firefighting at the moment. It is a struggle to survival. The only thing I think that Sunak can hope to gain from the next year or so, assuming that there isn't a general election before then, is a reputation for a degree of economic competence. But there will be more pain. There will be more austerity. Anybody who thinks that we are entering some sort of massive turnaround and this is a golden era for the Conservatives is is completely fooling themselves. One of the key parts of the last election was that realignment where we saw those northern areas in the Red Wall going uh, Tory for the first time um, with Mr Tunbridge Wells back in the uh, back in the hot seat. Do you think that realignment is just dead in the water now? Are we going to see the country revert to its sort of traditional identities? Yes, I can imagine that. I think there's also a risk of a far-right party coming through and having quite an impact on the polls. We have seen in the past how things like UKIP and the Brexit party can have an extraordinary effect on British politics. We can't be sure yet that Keir Starmer has sealed the deal when it comes to the electorate, even though he is enjoying such enormous leads in the polls, because that is based on a sense of disgust with the current government. So it will be up to Starmer now, I think, to set out a programme that is distinctive from Sunak's. And I think he can do that because his is a quite a Green New Deal kind of programme where Sunak has always been sceptical about green policies and put some clear, clear red water between him and the Conservative Party. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Saturday saw the culmination of the Chinese Communist Party's conference with Xi Jinping sworn in for another five years. Um, Ros, there was a remarkably strange incident on Saturday in the closing stages of the conference. What happened there? Well, Hu Jintao, the previous leader of China, who's 79, was escorted in the lingo, um, you know, encouraged, pushed even out of the meeting. And the official line of this was that he had been attending, even though he'd been feeling unwell and he started to feel unwell again, so that officials helped him out because he'd been recuperating from something. Now, of course, this is the official account. What was actually going on was that Hu Jintao was clearly unhappy with the way things were going. He is an ally of Li Keqing, who was removed from the seven-member Politburo over the weekend. Basically, Xi Jinping has now packed the Politburo with his own supporters. And as well as ensuring that he can have another five-year term, something that a lot of people thought the Chinese had stopped, Basically, he, he has rewarded even the man who enforced the pretty disastrous Shanghai lockdown because it didn't matter that it was disastrous. Um, this man was loyal and who allies have been removed. And basically, 
this is a consolidation of Xi Jinping's power, which Hu Jintao is clearly pretty unhappy with. I mean, a lot of the headlines this morning were sort of saying that, you know, this week is kind of the start of almost like a new Mao era um, with that consolidation of power. Does that seem like a hyperbolic reading of it or reasonable comparison? Well, of course, Mao presided over some absolutely terrible episodes of history. And while we are seeing terrible things happening in China now, it's not quite on the same scale. Additionally, of course, we have commercial links to China, which make it and academic, in fact, which make it very difficult for perhaps Britain to be as vociferous uh, in criticising China as it has been. But I think Britain in particular is going to have to look very carefully at what it does about things like Confucius Institutes, which have been fostering links between British and Chinese universities and British and Chinese schools, whether it's any longer appropriate to have these in what is turning into a uh, into an, into an autocracy. Authoritarianism takes new forms, and the new form it's taking at the moment is a laser-sharp focus on keeping COVID numbers down. I've never quite understood why it's so difficult for the Chinese government to persuade its elderly people to have COVID jabs, which of course is the key to opening up. But it hasn't done that, and it's doubling down on this policy. We've seen over the weekend reports of children being shipped off to camps, to COVID quarantine camps, separated from their parents. This is a cruel, vicious way to run a country, and there is growing internal opposition to it. But of course, the Chinese have such a all-encompassing control over social media and surveillance that it is very easy for them to tamp down on this protest immediately it emerges. And that happened with the Hu Jintao incident um, over the weekend when quickly pictures of him being led out were basically removed from social media. We were expecting the release of China's uh, GDP figures at the conference, but those were quietly shelved without explanation. Instead, they were just released this morning, shortly before we went on air. Um, That's obviously hugely significant for the global economy. Um, What's in there? Well, the GDP growth was 3.9%, which might not seem too bad in British terms, but is quite a lot lower than the expected 5.5%. And the reason for that, of course, is all the supply chain related problems with COVID lockdowns and you know, China can't just can't grow as fast as it has been growing if it continues to have these uh, extreme lockdowns. And that makes it much more difficult for China to overtake the US in terms of economic growth, which is very much the story we've been hearing over the last five to 10 years that China was about to overtake the US. Now it looks at the current rate of growth as that, though that might not happen until 2060. And that's embarrassing for China. More generally, China has been increasingly holding back information about its economy, releasing fewer and fewer stats, turning inwards. And it is a sign, of course, that the country is becoming far more isolated. And finally, Elon Musk's on-off attempt to buy, then not buy, then be forced to buy it again with Twitter is expected to close this Friday, the date by which a judge has said the deal must be finalised. Roz, what are his immediate plans for the platform, do we know? It's not entirely clear what his plans are because it's Elon Musk, you know. (laughs) He likes to keep you guessing. It may be that he will let Donald Trump and um, Kanye West, or the man we must now call Ye, I think, back onto Twitter, although Ye has now bought Parley, so maybe, you know, he won't be so interested in Twitter now. 
who knows. He said that he wants Oprah Winfrey to join the board. He also plans apparently to remove what's called in the lingo the C-suite, the uh, group of very senior executives who manage software development, because he's going to do all that himself. Of course. And essentially, he wants to sack a lot of workers as well. Twitter has about 7,000 people working for it. He thinks that's too many. Now, it may well be that a substantial number of those will leave when Musk takes over anyway because they don't see themselves as being able to work under a Musk regime. But he wants, for example, to get rid of all Twitter's marketing and comms, because Musk doesn't do marketing comms, because he is the marketing and comms. You know, who needs the departments to do that? Uh, but widely, in terms of free speech and his determination to ensure that Twitter is a place where you can say anything untrammeled, we could obviously see some, expect to see some big changes to the rules of Twitter and what you can get away with on the platform. What do we know about the general vibe inside the company regarding the new boss? Is it a happy ship? No, it's not a happy ship at all. There are a lot of people who work for Twitter who are pretty appalled at the idea that Musk is going to take over. And they're also, of course, worried about being sacked. So there's an awful lot of water cooler conversations going on and slack conversations going on, people getting into groups, deciding what their strategy is going to be, trying to anticipate what Musk is going to do. But there is a great deal of unhappiness. I mean, there is also a worry, of course, that Twitter is not Elon Musk's primary interest. He is basically more interested in his space company, SpaceX, and in Tesla. Tesla is very beholden to China for its supply chain. He's also uh, expressed some lively views, shall we say, on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A lot of the employees are going to be unhappy about that. He had a spat with Zelensky recently on Twitter where he threatened to take away Ukraine's use of Starlink, the satellite phone service that he runs, and then he rode back from that in the end. But, you know, there are plenty of people working at Twitter who will be absolutely disgusted by this behaviour. Other stories we'll be keeping an eye on in the days ahead include the news that Scottish victims of the infected blood scandals in the 1970s and 1980s are expected to finally receive a payout following an inquiry which began in 2018. Unite and CWU workers go on strike from today, affecting the port of Liverpool along with BT services. A vote of confidence in the Italian parliament is expected to pass, kickstarting the new government of Georgia Maloney. The four biggest companies in the US all report their third quarter earnings, an important indicator for the overall state of the US economy, while the European Central Bank meets Thursday and is expected to hike interest rates for the second time in a row. Meanwhile, over in New York, a jury trial begins in the criminal case against the Trump Organization with charges on the books including criminal tax fraud, falsifying business records, filing false tax returns and a scheme to defraud the state. More flooding is expected in the east of Australia as heavy rain continues to hit the country due to climate change and there's a partial solar eclipse on Tuesday which will be visible across the UK between about 10am and 11.15. I'll be making some glasses out of a bit of old cardboard before staring straight into it. And that is Start Your Week. Roz, thanks for getting up early. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Just a quick reminder that, like all of our shows, Start Your Week is kept on air by the direct support of listeners like you. You can find us on Patreon, where just £3 a month keeps shows like Doomsday Watch, Origin Story and Oh God, What Now on air and helps us to develop new series. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast, sign up and you'll get all our shows early and without ads, along with an inside track on merchandise and the live shows throughout the year. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow for the first of this week's Oh God, What Now shows. 
Hello, I'm Dorian Linsky. And I'm Ian Dunn. We are the hosts of Origin Story, the podcast that unpacks the history behind the ideas, the people and the events that shape political discourse today. And we are back for season five. We're kicking off with a two-parter on George Orwell, the man, the work, the ideas. We follow him from Burma to Spain, through Second World War London, to the writing of his masterpieces Animal Farm and 1984, and how their legacy is used and misused today. That's Origin Story Season 5, coming now from anywhere you get your podcasts. The Bunker was presented by Justin Quirk with Roz Taylor. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieburn, and the producers are Jelena Sofronevich and Jacob Archfond, with assistant production from Kasia Tomaszewicz. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis, group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.